This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the airport, your best destination for all the latest royal news and analysis. And what a week it's been. The UK is inching back towards some sort of normality whilst we still deal with the coronavirus pandemic. Shops and bars and restaurants have been reopening in various capacities over the past week. And we've seen the royals getting in on that too. Just after we finished our last episode, Prince William was spotted at his local pub in Norfolk having a pint of cider. And just a few days ago, we saw Sophie the Countess of Wessex visiting her local pub, the Half Moon Pub, in Surrey. And it's great to see the royals out and about. Uh, Someone else who's out and about at the moment is Maggie, who is currently away on assignment. Um, So it will just be myself this week. But of course, that doesn't mean we can't have fun without her. She will be missed, of course. But there's a lot of news to get through this week. And we've seen appearances from a number of the members of the royal family um, in very different ways, actually. We got to see a completely different side to Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, when she took over a British radio station this week. I've got some really fun clips to play from that and I think it was a chance for us to really see a slightly different side to her. We also got to see the Duchess of Cambridge on what would have been the Wimbledon finals weekend. Of course the tennis tournament has been postponed for a year because of the pandemic Um, but we got to see her on quite a fun engagement, a virtual engagement alongside Andy Murray, the tennis champ. And we saw the Sussexes in their roles as president and vice president of of the Queen's Commonwealth Trust, uh, engaging in a discussion with young Queen's Commonwealth leaders to talk about equal rights and justice, uh, of course, in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, these are actually conversations that have been taking place amongst the QCT leaders uh, on a weekly or very regular basis. And I'll be catching up with one of them who was on the call with Harry and Meghan to hear a bit more about what they spoke about. But as I mentioned, uh, the Duchess of Cornwall took over the airwaves of Radio 5 this week, turning her hand to editing a show on the station for the very first time. She gave an interview for the Emma Barnett show and then used the rest of the show to highlight charities and causes that she's most passionate about. Um, But of course, I think one of the really surprising things about this engagement was hearing a side to her that perhaps we weren't so familiar with. Well, a silver swan is a very ancient (laughs) bat. A very ancient ballet dancer. I mean, I laughed about it. I I went to visit the Royal Academy of Dance, which I'm a patron of, and um, they said to me, oh, you're going to go and see a silver swan class. Uh, And I said, oh, Lord, oh, dear. Is it a lot of very old people doing ballet? I couldn't believe it. They were brilliant. They were completely brilliant. And then the lovely teacher, Sarah, said to me afterwards, would you ever be interested? Have you ever done ballet? I said, you know, maybe when I was about five. Mm. But um, so I gathered together um, a group of likely candidates in the form of uh, friends the same age as me, and I said, look, 
you know, we are going to be silver swans. They all howled with laughter and said, you must be joking. So, <laughs> so I said, well, come on, let's give it a go. So we all arrived in our, you know, black leggings yes. and T-shirts ready for the dance. And um, we did think, again, we'd be getting complete hysterics, but we all had to concentrate. We concentrated so hard that you don't dare look to left. So there's no right. wine you or gin. Sarah there's no drinking during these this. wonderful things. You've just, gotta, you've just got to concentrate. You've, you've got to zone in and do it. But, um, you know, I did hear the odd sort of crash to my left and right <laughs> And you kept doing it. I mean, this is the thing. It's, yeah, it's, it's keep, important. I mean, yes, lockdown. I did. I got it on Facebook, so I got right. it there on Facebook. But then I managed to obviously doing something wrong, did something to my back, so I had to lay off it for a bit. But I can't wait to get back to it again. You feel so well afterwards. I've, I've got to ask this because you you obviously been locking down with your husband. Mm. Did you get him to have a plie or two? Did you I get him to try? I did not get him doing a plie, but he is a very very fit man. So he's not doing ballet with you? He is not doing ballet. Okay. That, I think that, what, that his... would be a good idea. No? <laughs> I don't think we're going to do a pas de deux yet. <laughs> that was the Duchess of Cornwall talking about her dance classes that she has kept up with throughout the lockdown. And it was personal moments like that throughout the show that I think brought on... Uh, a unique element to hearing the Duchess speak over the radio. I think that's one of the things that's been quite good about lockdown is that where we're used to covering royals on rather formal engagements where it's sort of quick meet and greets and as, as reporters we overhear snippets of conversation, thanks to these conversations that have taken place over Zoom or in this case over the radio, we get to hear a lot more from a member of the royal family. You know, this was the Duchess really covering a number of different subjects, including uh, her life as a grandmother. We got to hear how she's been chatting online with her grandchildren and her son, Tom Parker Bowles. Uh, she said that very early on in the lockdown, they were playing Trivial Pursuits together on an app called House Party. And she spoke, of course, about the time apart from her grandchildren. She said that it's been a, a great treat to be able to see her grandchildren when the restrictions were eased, partly in June. Um, but spoke about her excitement, about not really having seen them for three and a half months and that initial moment when she did see them and, of course, was able to run up to them and give them great big hugs. We also got to hear from some of her friends and family too. In fact, her son, Tom, called into the show. He's, of course, a well-known food critic and author. Um, but after answering the question of whether Camilla was a strict parent, the answer is no, he did reveal the one thing that they do argue about. I, I think my mother's taste is very different from mine. You know, I like chilies and, 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 and quite highly spiced food. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and her tastes are more, more, more plain. So, and also we argue in the kitchen. You know, she would say I was doing something wrong or <laughs> I would moan that her knives are blunt or there's not enough light. Um, so it's best if we sort of, you know, keep separate. That's why we, 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 we sit together at restaurants. Um, although she obviously cooked when, when we grew up. She was a good cook. I was, was going to say, you weren't in charge then. And I, I, I need to give her a right of reply here. She's shaking her head a little. <laughs> <laughs> No, I must say, uh, no, Tom is a very good cook, but he's dead right. He loves everything very, very hot. He adores chilies, and I'm afraid to say I don't. And um, so we just agree to differ. We also got to hear about some of the issues and causes closest to the Duchess, including her worries about the rise of domestic abuse or the rise in numbers of domestic abuse incidents in the UK and around the world during the lockdown 
She's, of course, a patron of the Safe Lives uh, domestic abuse charity. We've had them on the show here before. And um, if if you cast your mind back to then, she spoke about uh, really one of the things that led her to wanting to work with victims of domestic abuse. Um, it was an incident uh, where a woman was murdered by her husband in a hammer attack in front of her children. And Camilla's kept a relationship with the mother of the woman who was murdered and actually received a letter um, from this woman who'd written into the show to give an update, uh, saying that the children were grown up and doing well. And Camilla, I, I guess she wears her heart on her sleeve, definitely, but we heard from her just how important it was to continue uh, voicing fears for the true number of victims of domestic violence and making sure that people are acting on it and doing something about it. She also spoke about her work with Battersea, the Animal Rescue Centre and Shelter here in London. Um, It's actually the place where she adopted her two dogs, Beth and Bluebell, who made an appearance on the Clarence House Instagram account this week. So if you haven't seen that picture, go check it out. It is, it's a great one. But she spoke about talking to her animals more than ever during the coronavirus lockdown. I think something that perhaps we can all relate to, or maybe just me. Uh, but she said, the, the nice thing about dogs is you can sit them down, have a nice long conversation. You can be cross, you can be sad, and they just sit looking at you and wagging their tail and they don't answer back. <laughs> I agree with that. Although I would like to challenge her to record said radio show or podcast with the dog around. Um, Needless to say, I have started and stopped quite a few times. Now over with the Cambridges, we got to see Kate on a Zoom video call with Sarandi Murray with London school children to mark what would have been Wimbledon finals week. And I would say at this point, Kate has definitely become quite a pro when it comes to the Zoom calls. Uh, From what started out as perhaps a little bit of shyness on these calls, I would say, uh, she's really come into her own. And I think it always helps when she's doing an engagement with children. Um, She, of course, has spoken in the past about how her and William have spent a lot of time outside in the garden at their Norfolk home of Anmer Hall with George, Charlotte and Louis. And after talking about the outdoors and entertaining the children from the Bond Primary School in London, uh, she interrupted herself and announced that she had a special guest to bring on the call, who, of course, was Andy Murray. Very exciting for the kids. Uh, They are not just uh, primary school students. They're also budding tennis stars and athletes. They're all involved in the Wimbledon Foundation programme, which works with young children uh, who are interested in getting into tennis. Um, So it was a great opportunity for them to hear some stories from Andy Murray, including how he's tackled the lockdown and ask for some tips. He plays tennis for Great Britain. He's um, a two-time Olympic champion. He's a former world number one. Can you possibly guess who this might be, our special guest today? Now, as advocates for racial justice and equality around the world, we've heard a lot from Harry and Meghan uh, over the weeks and making sure others are also heard um, on this subject, particularly in light of the Black Lives Matter movement. And they continued that promise this week when they joined young leaders from around the world for an in-depth conversation about equal rights, justice and fairness. I'll be catching up with one of those young leaders just after the break. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, they may have stepped down as senior working members of the royal family, but that hasn't taken away the dedication that Harry and Meghan have for the Queen's Commonwealth Trust, an organisation that champions funds and connects young leaders around the world, uh, including, of course, the 54 Commonwealth realms. This organisation has been running weekly discussions with youth from the network. And as president for Harry and vice president for Meghan, respectfully, they were eager to join one of those conversations. And on July the 1st, uh, they did jump into a virtual discussion connecting with youth from the network to talk about the importance of ensuring that this critical moment in time that we're going through right now with the Black Lives Matter movement is used for advancing human rights and justice and this urgent need that we have to push toward long-term and practical solutions for the future. Um, we heard a lot from the couple and uh, the four young people that they were joined with. But it was very interesting to hear from Harry and Meghan themselves talking about the subject of unconscious bias, but also acknowledging the mistakes of the past, particularly when it comes to the Commonwealth itself. The, the huge majority around the world, especially the younger generation, are speaking out. And for the first time, they're really starting to be, to be heard. You are the next, the next generation of leadership, which this world so desperately needs as, as it goes through this healing process. Well, and that, that I think is so true because there's nothing that's stopping you now. Nothing. Knowing that you have the attention of the world to say, the world is seeking solutions. The world is craving a healing through everything that's happened over these several months. And we really look back at history for obviously much longer than that. And I think Alicia, to your point earlier, saying talking about discomfort and why it's an important recognition is that it's like growing pains. Growing pains are painful. This process is painful and it has been for a long time. But through that immense pain, what we can have tremendous faith in is knowing that there will be growth. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing happen every single day as all of you are out there campaigning, fighting the right fight, being on the right side of history and ensuring that we can get closer to seeing this truly as our past and not something that we have to revisit again and again and again. So we really, we thank you and commend you for your efforts on that. It is inspiring for both of us to, to watch and to bear witness to and why we, of course, made the time and find it a huge honor to be able to have this time with all of you today. Well, one of the people that was on the call with Harry and Meghan was Mike Amonyi, who's the editor-in-chief and founder of the Common Sense Network that provides impartial and fact-based news and social commentary uh, based here in the UK, actually. Mike's, of course, also a QCT young leader as well and has been involved in these weekly discussions that the QCT has been holding. Um, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me, Omid. Uh, I'd imagine it's been quite an interesting week since the discussion was shared with the world. Is it hard to keep these things secret? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, I found out a couple of days before, as you can imagine. And yeah, I struggled. I was itching all over. I've got to tell someone, I've got to tell someone. Um, and, you know, even when we released it, a part of me thought, well, maybe a couple of people might be interested. 
Um, I didn't think it would trail trend worldwide, but there you go. <laughs> of course, you are the founder and CEO of the Common Sense Network, which I absolutely love. It's described here as a UK-based bipartisan news network for and by millennials. Obviously, there is a huge need and desire, I think, for readers out there to be able to read something that A, connects with them on their, le on their level, but is also an authoritative and neutral voice um, in what can be a very sort of confusing media space. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we, we started two years ago. I, I was doing a master's degree in political science. Um, and like a lot of people, I knew I had to have news, but, you know, I, I had to read news, sorry, but I just, I just didn't want to read it because it was just so, so partisan. You know, in, in the UK, we have a real issue with news. Um, uh, on the Eurobarometer, which is a, a measure for how trusted news uh, uh, news um, uh, industries are in, in different uh, countries, the UK has been last four times. We have a really divided <laughs> news system. Um, and so it's, it's, it's from that frustration of, of having to just try and navigate the whole news space that I thought, well, why don't we build something that, that's just different? Uh, something that serves communities, something that's not just kind of profit-driven, but kind of purpose-driven. So it's it's all it's 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 a combination of all these different things that led us to to begin the Commons Network. And so far, you know, we we we've served a lot of people in the UK, but also abroad. And of course, that's something that really appeals to Harry and Meghan when we when we heard them announce their plans to step away from their lives as working members of the royal family. They expressed a real keen interest in working with grassroots media organizations and sort of up and coming uh, news companies and journalists. And of course, so this is particularly an, an interesting field for them. But of course, you got to experience, I guess, the other side of it or what you've been sort of working to perhaps change or sort of offer something different to is the traditional news organization. This week, when we saw the discussion for the first time, we got to see the Sussexes once again breaking new ground for the royal family, this time urging the British Commonwealth to honestly grapple with its colonial past. And uh, of course, this was perhaps a somewhat overdue move uh, for members of the royal family. But sadly, and perhaps quite predictably, uh, the words were greeted, particularly in the press, uh, with a lot of scorn and criticism. Did that surprise you? Well, I mean, you've hinted at it there. The, the criticism came from the usual suspects, people who we knew would say this. I mean, in a meeting with, uh, with, with folks yesterday, I told them that look, if Megan coughed, you know, they're going to link it to a tornado somewhere in the world. You know, the, these are folks who, who have a vendetta, aren't interested in, in, in anything good that, that, that could come from them. So, so I wasn't so much surprised by that. Um, but I think, you know, we, we've got a media system now that's driven pretty much by clicks. A lot of news networks are surviving via advertising. And so they need uh, foot, uh, foot traffic. They need people to come on, on their site. And so it was really quite bizarre to see a lot of different news outlets, you know, <laughs> You know, focusing on the age comment that was made or or having body language experts uh, assess how they were standing to, to, to work out the, the nature of their relationship. I mean, all that stuff was a bit odd. It felt like smoke and mirrors. You know, the point here <laughs> is, is racism. It's about building a new world, um, equality, equity. How you can miss that and focus instead on, uh, on what they were wearing. I mean, that, that, that was quite bizarre. 
I think the ironic thing there was that this was a discussion, a deep discussion about justice and equal rights and the coverage or a large majority of the coverage was anything but. But I, I want to go back to that conversation. Um, I would imagine it was the first time that you had really sort of interacted with the Duke and Duchess. Did you know that they would sort of be actively taking part or did you think that they perhaps might just be coming to listen in? Yeah, I think one of the major things that surprised me uh, in a good way was how willing they were to engage. I mean, first and foremost, they, they were very warm. Um, and, you know, as someone who takes, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. Uh, we, we've been having a lot of time spent on Zoom over the past few <laughs> a few weeks or so. I, I, I can say I, I definitely had Zoom fatigue. I had, I was a bit battle weary and I was just, just tired of talking about racism on Zoom. So, I entered the debate with a, with a, a fair bit of skepticism. Is this going to be meaningful? Is this going to mean anything? Is it going to be a tick box ex exercise? But what I found was the opposite. You know, what I found was uh, two people who felt like I was talking to people who were super warm, who engaged in the conversation, who were willing to go back and forth, um, and, and that that meant a lot to the people actually there in the conversation i mean if you look at the uh, the video i mean i couldn't stop smiling throughout because i was so happy that someone was <laughs> saying the stuff i really really wish they would say that my mom's been saying for years but also uh, when we see how uh, people on the street and people you know uh, people who are actually part of our network when you see how they found it equally they were really um uh, happy that harry and megan were willing to say these things and as you said kind of felt overdue. This is something we should have heard years ago, but, but it's so good to see them engaging in that way. Absolutely. And I think what's been really interesting about the past few weeks or last couple of months is that we've really seen off the back of the Black Lives Matter protests that Britain's historic actions getting sort of scrutinised more intensely than they had been before. And we've sort of seen domestic debate about the commemoration of colonial figures. And did you think that this might have been something that Harry and Meghan could have or would it might have tried to avoid, given that they do have these roles within the QCT? Or is this what those roles are, are about? Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, it, it, it depends uh, who they're speaking to. I mean, I mean, some some would say this was a, this was not a good brand move. Uh, uh, but you know, I think what I saw from them, and what also makes me respect that moment so much more, is. You know, rather than focusing on how something looks and the optics of a thing, I think what you see from Harry and Meghan particularly is a desire to confront the actual thing. So, 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 you know, I'm sure if we got together some, some PR folks and sat in a room, they could come up with a hundred reasons why they shouldn't have been in that conversation. But I think it was the right thing to do irrespective of how it looks and, and the fact that, you know, people like rolling their eyes or racism again, you know, it was the right thing to do. We have seen a global exposure of a systemic issue. Uh, it's hurting people, people who contributed to, to the UK and, and who built this country equally feel displaced and feel like they're bearing an undue amount of externalities created by a, what people might say, uh, a capitalist system that, that puts them at the bottom. You know, something has to be said to that. And I think it was the right thing to do. So for me, you know, I'm happy they did it, like I said before. And also, I think it was the right thing to do. Irrespective of how it looks, it was the right thing to do. And of course, it sparked so many 
outside of sort of perhaps the more sort of obvious places in the way they've reacted, it has sparked some really interesting conversations, not just in the UK, not even just across the Commonwealth, but around the world. And, you know, that's really what sort of the impact of these uh, moments that Duke and Duchess share are all about. But this is, of course, part of a weekly discussion series that's been happening within the QCT, sort of looking at various forms of injustice and the experiences of young people today. Uh, what is? Could you tell us a bit more about the role that you have with the QCT and sort of how you got involved with them and, and what it is that you guys are actively focused on at the moment and doing about it? Yeah, well, the, the QCT is a brilliant organisation, a young charity that's, the, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's in the description. They are championing causes all around the world, or the, the Commonwealth, but uh, largely around the world too. Um, you know, I run the Commonsense Network and QCT are partner of, of ours. Um, we work together because we have a similar goal. Uh, at the, at the Commonsense Network, our desire is to build harmonious communities, to help people who don't see eye to eye, to come together and learn from each other. We're very uh, interested in, in kind of repairing the social fabric uh, of this country that we think has been torn by div division and, and, politics of, and the politics of partisanship. And, you know, that, that's a goal that's very similar to QCT's goal, which is to, 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 to champion um, people who are trying to repair the world, who are trying to change the world, who are trying to build uh, better systems. So we work with them as content partners. Um, they champion our work. Um, we share the work they do as well. And, and as you said, you know, QCT has been focused on this for a while. This, this wasn't just pulled out of a hat, uh, this conversation. It's something that's been happening over and over again with young leaders around the Commonwealth. I've chaired a couple of the discussions um, and, you know, that one took place after the conversation. Multiple ones have taken place before. So, so, so the moment we saw with, 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 uh, with Harry and Meghan was, was almost, it was a culmination, if you like, of, of multiple weeks of work that people have been putting in. But also it's important to note that a lot of the conversations we're speaking about are actually being driven by by these young leaders. Uh, the young people want to talk about these issues. They want to discuss them. They want to uh, uh, share best practices and work out how this global exposure of racism is actually affecting different countries. Of course, our experience here in, in the UK in London is very different to in the Bahamas, and it's very different to you know you know in, in, in other places. So ultimately. It's, it's been a youth-led discussion um, uh, 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 around this issue. Uh, and what, we're, what we saw with, with Harry and Meghan wasn't just a, a, a random event. It was the culmination of weeks and weeks of, of, of hard work. As Harry said himself, you know, you guys are the future of this conversation. You are driving the change. And one of the interesting things I, I really enjoyed in the conversation was you spoke to the couple about the significance of meaningful allyship. And you challenge people to sort of go beyond social media. I think you said sort of after pressing send online, people actually need to roll up their sleeves and do the work. For someone that perhaps is new to this or is only really sort of being sort of finding this current moment in time as their introduction into these issues of injustice, where is the best starting point? Um, so so the, that's a good question. I, I always preface this by saying, you know, I have one voice in a sea of more educated and and more passionate and and, and people who, who who you know probably maybe screaming at their their devices going, this is what you should say, <laughs> you know. But 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 I think that the best place to start uh, is is in your corner of the world. Who do you know that's affected by these issues? 
I mean, you must know somebody that's affected by these issues. Um, you know, it may be a black person, you know, and it may be a mixed race person. I don't know, but but you must know somebody. I would start with them. Uh, and I would ask them how they feel, what they're thinking, where they're at uh, right now. To obviously, do it very sensitively, but I think that's where we've got to begin. You know, I, I can sit now and read out a list of books and and films and and, and things people ought to watch, but of course, that's only the beginning. Um, this only this is all these discussions about race uh, and race relations and, and harmony is only relevant when we consider the material difference it will make to our genuine life, i.e., our community. So I would start with your community. I would speak to people and, and ask them how they feel. And I would listen. I would listen not to respond, but listening to understand people. Uh, it, it's something that sometimes can feel like you're not doing enough, but it's actually a very powerful thing to do because you're giving somebody else a chance to, to live authentically and to share with you all the stuff they've been bottling up, all the stuff that they felt like they wanted to say, but they can't quite say it. One of the most powerful things about this moment is it's given a lot of black people the opportunity to finally vocalize things that they felt but just felt they could not say. And this is in the corporate structure. I'm, I'm working on an article for Lankerly Chase where, where I speak about uh, uh, you know, the, the idea uh, of, uh, or, or, or perhaps you know, the fact that black people watched George Floyd being murdered and knew that it would have real world ramifications in their world of work. So in the corporate structure, you know, you've got to be professional, you've got to be put together, and you've got to lecture everyone on racism. You know, these are unique pressures that black people don't vocalize. So, so I would ask that person who's new to this, just to ask people around them how they feel, and to listen and to, uh, with, a, with a humility and a desire to understand them. Absolutely. I, I think as, as we heard Harry say, you know, the optimism and hope that they get from it's some sort of listening to people like you and hearing what it is that you're doing. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I know that people can find all of the Common Sense Network content at tcsnetwork.co.uk. Where, where can they find you? Well, they, uh, on social media, um, um, Mike Omni CS. Um, if they type that in, they, they can see the work we do. Um, thank you so much for, for, for having me and for sharing the, the work we do. Um, it's, it's important that we heal societies right now um and and you know we're, we're gonna keep on doing that that was mike amoni speaking who as i said is the editor-in-chief of the common sense network which if you want to check out just head over to tcsnetwork.co.uk this, of course, wasn't the only headline for the Sussexes this week. We also saw the Duchess of Sussex released a statement supporting five of her close friends after the Mail on Sunday's, in her words, vicious attempt to expose them. It was an eyewitness statement, a legal document that was filed at the High Court here in London on July 9th. I have a copy of it here, where the Duchess accuses the Mail on Sunday of trying to, quote, create a circus with her friends' real lives. Now, these, of course, are the five friends that gave interviews to People magazine in early 2019 in her defence after a barrage of uh, particularly unpleasant commentary and articles in certain areas of the British press. Uh, Megan says and has said already in this case in previous statements that she had no idea that the article was happening until it actually hit newsstands. Uh, but the Mail on Sunday have these five friends' names because they have been entered into the case confidentially by the Duchess of Sussex's legal team, by request of 
associated newspapers. The argument here, of course, is the Mail on Sunday is saying that they should be in the public domain and the Duchess of Sussex's legal team is saying that these are private citizens, young mums, who do not need to be part of this circus that the paper is clearly trying to create. Uh, Megan writes in the statement, uh, she accuses the publisher of trying to expose her friends in the public domain for no reason other than clickbait and commercial gain. She goes on to warn that the actress is vicious and poses a threat to their emotional and mental well-being. Of course, it will be some time before this actually goes to trial. And one could argue that releasing the name so early in the process, when they could potentially act as witnesses, important witnesses in this case... Uh, is not going to do any help for either party. Uh, But of course, the argument from the Sussex side is that the male really just want to create headlines out of this rather than add or sort of do this for any benefit of the case for either side. Uh, Megan's already repeatedly stated in legal responses to the publisher, there have been three so far, that she knew nothing of these five friends' cooperation with People magazine. And effectively, it doesn't affect the grounds of which this case is based on, which is copyright infringement and invasion of privacy. Megan goes on to say, these five women are not on trial and nor am I. The publisher of the Mail on Sunday is the one on trial. It is the publisher that acted unlawfully and is attempting to evade accountability, to create a circus and distract from the point of this case, that the Mail on Sunday unlawfully published my private letter. Uh, It's a very powerful statement. I think that What's been really interesting about this case is that clearly the Duchess is not afraid to hide anything. We've actually learned a lot of private information uh, in a case that must be quite difficult to sort of be going through these issues with her father again so publicly. And there is no doubt about it that when this does go to trial, it will be a circus. Whether people want to avoid that or not, unfortunately, that is the sort of what, what we're building up to here. Um, but, you know, I've spoken to sources close to the Duchess and their legal team, and they are clearly very confident in the approach that they're taking to this. And, you know, they, they believe that they're standing on a very good case at the moment. As I said earlier, the Mail on Sunday does deny wanting to actually print the names of the five friends. Uh, tellingly, in their statement that uh, was obtained by ABC News, it says, to set the record straight, the Mail on Sunday had absolutely no intention of publishing the identities of the five friends this weekend. Uh, quite telling that it really specifies this weekend. Um, it goes on to say, you know, this is why we told the Duchess's lawyers last week that the question of their confidentiality should be properly considered by the courts. Um, Sources actually tell me that it was Megan's lawyers uh, that said that they were put on notice by the Mail on Sunday's lawyers just on Monday. So this is just a few days before Megan's uh, witness statement, uh, basically telling them that the Mail's confidential filing should be properly reportable by the media. That's their words. Uh, They warned that if Megan's legal team did not apply to the court by July the 9th, then they would simply assume that the names of the women were no longer confidential. So this situation is actually quite contradictory to the statement released by then. And it gives a glimpse of sort of what goes on behind the scenes in a case like this. Uh, We are sort of in somewhat unprecedented territory here 
uh, with a case against a tabloid by a member of the royal family because uh, so far we haven't even gone to trial yet and it's already unveiled quite a lot and uh, will no doubt be a difficult situation for the Sussexes to go through. They've, you know, already well into their next chapter and this will, of course, be a heavy burden uh, for them to deal with uh, as it, it looks to continue for some months. I can't see this going to trial until late in the year or early next year. And that just about wraps us up for this week. Uh, there was one other moment I just wanted to talk about. Uh, Prince Charles has been out and about. He's continued his tour of post-lockdown engagements. Uh, he visited an Asda supermarket here in the UK. Asda is owned by Walmart, the Walmart group, uh, a very similar store. Uh, and Prince Charles, in meeting a number of workers at the, at the store, managed to keep his cool when one of those workers suddenly fainted halfway through his conversation with the royal. Now, I've seen a lot of people uh, lose their cool around members of the royal family, and uh, there's nothing more entertaining sometimes than watching people uh, get very excited about meeting members of the royal family. But I can't say I've ever seen anyone faint for Prince Charles. Uh, that said, uh, I, he did quickly recover after receiving medical attention and all was fine. That just about wraps us up, guys. Uh, thank you again for all the lovely words that you send over to myself and to Maggie. Maggie will be back in the next episode. Uh, do keep the tweets coming in. Send them over to myself at Scoby. Use the hashtag the AirPod. And of course, thank you to the guys in New York for making this show happen and run smoothly every week. Anthony Alley, Leighton Schneider and Mike Dubusky. I am forever in your debt. And I'm forever in the debt of you guys, the listeners as well. You are coming back thick and strong every week. You have put up with a slightly irregular programming throughout this lockdown period. But we are back on our Friday weekly schedule. So make sure you're subscribed if you aren't already to be first to get the latest royal news and analysis. As always, look after yourselves, look after each other, love one another, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.